Welcome to the Grace Church Podcast, an extension of our adult Sunday school ministry and stories of grace. Pastor Brandon here, along with Pastor Steve. Hey there. And we are committed to utilizing this platform to continue our church's rich tradition of deep theological teaching through our adult Sunday school ministry. Though this unique season of following Jesus has not been without its share of challenges, we hope that you will tune in weekly to dive deeper into the scriptures as we hear from the vast array of teachers that we are blessed to call family here at Grace Church. Welcome back to the Grace Church Podcast. Happy November to you, because this is the first week of November. Here we are, boys. It's it's fall still, and it's November. Are you guys doing the no-shave November? No, this is just, <laughs> just, just what I do. Just what okay. it is. All right, okay, all right. I just thought I'd check before we got going, but this uh, particular episode, we have... Pastor Caleb in the studio. Hey there. There he is. <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> he is in studio with us, but he is not the one in the hot seat today. He is my new co-host for this week. And just Pastor... for one week. Don't 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 get too excited here. <laughs> hey, this chair is comfortable and this mic is hot. <laughs> <laughs> and we have actually Pastor Steve in the hot seat. So Steve will be sharing with us today about the Trinity. So we'll just turn it over to you and allow you to go from there. Well, thank you, Brandon. And I guess thank you, Caleb. We'll see how we do in the uh, <laughs> the other session here. I'm going to mute both our mics. So <laughs> go ahead. So I want to begin um, by telling you a story, but, but asking this question. Have you ever been at a coffee shop and someone else's conversation is distracting you to the point where you actually walk over there and make a comment? Uh, it, it's not actually like an admirable trait there, but uh, you perhaps have heard people uh, discussing in the coffee shop and you, you want to enter into their conversation. And I would give someone else a lot of flack for, for doing this, but I want to tell you about a day that I did that. Uh, I just couldn't resist the urge to share uh, some insight to a, a table uh, nearby. So I was at the coffee shop and I was working on a paper for class. Uh, I was taking on uh, theology and um, it was a small coffee shop, and it only had a few tables, but they were filled up. And uh, most of the time, I had, you know, been working on my paper with my headphones in. But I decided to let the conversation be white noise for my paper writing. And it was until, until I heard a group of high schoolers talking about the complexities of the Trinity. It's just not something you hear every day. And, and so my my ears kind of perked up, and and I uh, was was listening in for a little bit of the time and uh, turned my back and it, it became apparent that it was a, uh, a Bible study at the coffee shop and uh, the main topic for the day was on the Trinity. And, and I heard, heard a few comments, I'll, I'll share some of these comments uh, from them, and, and even if you would ask me on the day of, this has been months and months ago, I, I can't remember the exact quotes, but bear with me, I, they, they did say similar to the, some of these things, but some of the the things that they were talking about, trying to understand the complexities of the Trinity, it was, is God one or three? Which one is it? Um, how can he be both? Or, um, you know, I, I think it may be that, that God was Father in the Old Testament, and Jesus was in the New Testament, and then now the Holy Spirit is now, and it, it was, you know, just kind of taking turns. Um, or, 
uh, I think someone did offer the the Trinity is like an egg. You know, there, there's one egg, but then there's three parts of the egg, and and trying to understand how how they're together. And and at one point, I had my back turned towards them, but at one point, I, I heard one of them say, ah, "That guy over there, he's a youth pastor. Maybe we should have them have him help us." Uh, um. Another was, and, and I actually heard this, I think they asked the table next to him, and I can't remember if it was one of them or if it was the person that they asked. They, they said, you know, it's really impossible to understand the Trinity, so we should just be okay with the mystery of it. it you know, we aren't really going to, we aren't really going to fully comprehend or understand it, so just let's be okay with mystery. Uh, or um, another comment, uh, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, so it must not be that important uh, to study. I, I'm still amazed at this encounter because uh, the girls were seeking to know God the best that they could. And they weren't satisfied in talking about a coffee mug verse of the day or, um, you know, what, whatever whatever it is that, that uh, I think some of us fall into uh, temptation to in our studies. But, uh, but they honestly wanted to know a God that they claimed to love. Uh, that was a, a source of an encouragement uh, to me, and, and maybe I'll finish with some of the uh, how I how I address that with them. But uh, I want to talk to us about or, or have us think through three different questions. Um, first, why study what is impossible to fully comprehend or fully understand? Why is it important for us to study this topic of the Trinity? Second, uh, what do we mean when we? St- uh, when we say we believe in the Trinity, so just kind of a, a basic overview, what is it that we mean when we say uh, the Trinity? And then a third thing is, is God really triune? Is this the God of the Bible? And I have some statements, um, 10 statements that I'm going to try to uh, walk through that are trying to demonstrate uh, that that this is the God of the Bible. So uh, first question, why study what is impossible to fully comprehend or fully understand. So first is that, that while comprehension, full comprehension is, is attainable, I think we, we cheapen what we can know when we have that attitude. We, we cheapen what we can know when we have this attitude of, ah, I'm just going to give up on it. Uh, we want to, and it is possible to know and worship God rightly instead of just building a false image of God uh, that we've conceived in our in our own mind. So, why study uh, um, when full comprehension isn't isn't possible? Because it is possible to know some things, and we want to lean into that because we want to know and worship God rightly. So, a, a second thing that I think of on why studying this is that knowing God rightly has enormous implications on our life. Uh, there's a, a J.I. Packer book called uh, Knowing God. It's a very famous uh, book, and um, J.I. Packer recently died. But um, uh, in, in that book, he, he gives an illustration. I, I think it's helpful on why knowing God has enormous implications. Uh, he says this, Knowing about God is crucially important for uh, the living of our lives, as it would be cruel to to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him into L- London and put him down without explanation and leave him as, as one who n- knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself. So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place, a, 
and, and life in it is disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God, and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. This is the way you can waste your life and lose your soul. The implication of of being made in the image of God or um, that that God runs the world or or God is the one who created the world and and created us in his image is that if we want to know ourselves, then we we need to know God. Um, His relational unity or community is important when talking about the Trinity or uh, perhaps even uh, his dominion and his giving us dominion, um, that there is a possibility of, of same in value but different in function. I think these are all things we can see in the Trinity. So uh, first, why study? Uh, second question I want to work through is, uh, what, do we, what do we mean when we say we believe in the Trinity? What, what are we talking about here? So uh, maybe it's helpful to say or frame it this way. It's a biblical name for God. When we, when we say we believe in the Trinity, we're saying it, it's a biblical uh, name for God, or it's a right name for God, meaning it's not only an identifier for God, uh, but his identity, or correctly uh, correctly describing his identity. Uh, there's a book from my theology class uh, written by Alistair McGrath, and, and he says, the, the Trinitarian formula can thus be uh, thought of as a proper name, a shorthand way of identifying exactly what God we're talking about. And that's the end of the quote. So, so not only does this name provide us the identity of God, but a faithful representation of the God of the Bible. And McGrath goes on, he says, it, it's not a name in which we have chosen. It's a name, uh, it is a name which has been chosen for us and which we are authorized to use, end quote. Uh, the name Trinity only goes uh, as far as representing the reality found in the scripture. So when we say we believe in the Trinity, what we're, what we're trying to do is we're trying to affirm the, the triune God that is found in scripture. So three affirmations, so just to kind of continue to develop, what, what does it mean when we say we believe in the Trinity? Three affirmations that kind of introduce uh, this idea of Trinity. And if you deny any one of these affirmations, it will actually lead you to a heresy. So I want to just kind of do this. Uh, Here's three affirmations. God is one, God is three, and God is equal. God is one, three, and equal. So if you deny any one of these affirmations, you're going to, you're going to fall into some sort of classic heresy uh, that, that is uh, in the Trinity. So if, if God is one and three, but he's not equal, then you get what's called subordinationism, or uh, typically, so this is like, um, historically it had been found like the Father would be uh, above, in some way, in some manner above the the Son and the Spirit, Um, so there's not co-equality there. So uh, that's typically, that would be the Father. So if you you deny God's equality, then you'd get subordinationism. What about another one? So God is one and equal, but not three. So this is actually the the story that I was sharing at the beginning. This would be the classic heresy of modalism, where um, there's only really only one God, but um, but there there's not the the three persons part. So um, 
you know, it's like a, the, a classic illustration would be that there's one person playing three different roles in a play. So it'd be like, um, yeah, you have three parts, but it's all one person. They just change in backstage and then come back out on, on the theater, in the theater to play the different roles. And they, they view God in this way. Uh, one of the most common uh, ways to talk about this is calling it chronological modalism, uh, which sees God in these like eras. And that's what I was describing, like Father in the Old Testament. And then there's Jesus that revealed himself and then sent the Spirit. But it was, but it's actually just one God there and in in, in in God's entirety uh, um, was was within that within that one. So uh, God is one and equal, but not three. So that that's modalism. Uh, the third and final uh, way is, is that God is three and equal, but not one. So this would be uh, tritheism, and and this is probably what the uh, the Jews would uh, accuse um, Christians of that that they are um, that they're uh, they believe in more than one God, which uh, isn't accurate uh, of us, but um, but it, it is a an accusation on us. So that that was I, I'm hopeful that that was at least a somewhat helpful overview for you on um, uh, on what we mean when we say Trinity, and and I want to finish with uh, some statements here on on if you're able to to work through these statements or believe in these statements, it will, it will be helpful in pointing you to the God of scripture. So I'm not trying to just build a theological, um, argument, but rather some statements that will help you help you evaluate is my understanding of the Trinity biblical, uh, or at least the, the Bible affirms, uh, these statements. Um, so, ten statements here. Uh, we'll go through them very quickly, uh, but but I'll still uh, try to walk you through them in a helpful way. So, first, there is one God. We've already affirmed this, but uh, think of Deuteronomy six: the the Shema, "Hero Israel, the Lord is one." I mean, there's just a ton of scriptures that that we could go to, but but there is one God. We, we see that clearly in not just the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. So, number one, there is one God. Number two, the Father is God. Uh, we see uh, Jesus praying to the Father, the Father as the, the object of Christ's prayer. So, the Father is God. Three, the Son is God, meaning Christ. So, um, there's a number of other scriptures that, that you could point to for this uh, in Christ's words, but also uh, John chapter 1 is perhaps uh, um, a helpful text. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created uh, through him. Sorry, I'm just going on memory here, and so I'm just going to stop there. But John 1 in particular, and then culminating in verse 14, uh, the Word is God. The Son is God. Scripture affirms that. So number four, the Holy Spirit is God. Uh, perhaps a key text here would be in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, where uh, they didn't lie just to um, uh, uh, to man, but they it says they lied to God. And at one in one part, it says you lied to the Holy Spirit. In another part, it says you lied to God. And there's this, um, there's this feature where uh, the Holy Spirit and, and God are used synonymously there. So 
Um, the Holy Spirit is God. That that would just be a, a key text, but you could, again, for all of these, there's there's other texts that we could be looking at, but just giving you uh, maybe a, a, uh, a key text to point you to. Um, so number five, we're going to kind of move to, we just affirmed Father is God, Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but number five, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are distinct. Uh, this is key and this is probably found most clearly in John chapters 14 through 16 or John 14 through uh, even 17 because uh, 17 is the the prayer, high, high priestly prayer. So um, the, it's interesting because when you, when you see Christ describing in, in multiple chapters the role of the Holy Spirit and, and praying to the Father— it's clear that that um, they are not just one in the same. They are one in the same. We'll get we'll get to this because we're going to come back to these verses. But but they are um, they are three persons. They are there is a distinctness uh, to Father, Son, and Spirit, and they each have own roles and personhood, which leads me to six, seven, and eight here. So the Father is personal. Six. The uh, the Son is personal. Seven. And the Holy Spirit is personal. Is personal. Um, I do. Ha- I do have some text, but for the sake of time, I'll just uh, refer to uh, the personhood of Father, Son, and Spirit is is an essential thing to affirm. And uh, I think we Father and Son. It's perhaps easier to uh, work through the personal nature of, of those two. But maybe just to hit on uh, the Spirit. Um, consider the the fact from Scripture that the Spirit is able to be grieved or quenched. This these are not the the characteristics of just merely a force. The the Holy Spirit is um, has personhood as well. So just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll move on. Uh, number nine, the the Trinity is inseparable. So even though the Trinity is distinct, uh, the Trinity is inseparable. Uh, think of I mean just the way in creation. Uh, or in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit uh, work in their actions. They work in conjunction with one another. Um, they, they, are, um, they are fully unified. I, I can't even think of the right words here to, to describe it, but uh, if, you're, if you have a right belief of the Trinity, then it's helpful to affirm they are uh, inseparable. Finally, uh, number 10, Trinity is coherence or perichoresis. So this is your 10-cent word of the day, perichoresis. Um, this is describing their three-in-oneness. Not sure a better way to say this, uh, but but I think that actually, again, going back to the book of John, uh, some statements there uh, perhaps illustrate this concept e- even uh, the best. So, so the way the three and one are, are together. Um, Jesus clearly affirms this. Think of John 14, 20. I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. So he's talking about his relationship or oneness with the Father, and he's longing for the believers to have uh, one as him and the Father are one. And that's reaffirmed in John 17, 21. uh, That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that we, uh, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he compares uh, his relationship with the Father that um, that the 
believers would be uh, one as well. So uh, God is triune. This is his character. This is, uh, this is the biblical description of, of the, character, the character of God. And um, just uh, a couple more things here to build on this. Is it biblical uh, concept? I, I did want to bring up a, a couple uh, other things. So Wayne Grudem, in speaking of creation, think that creation is, is another uh, key time. So this is runs throughout Scripture. But uh, when the universe was created, God the Father spoke the powerful creative words that brought into being. God the Son was the divine agent who carried out these words. And we see that in John chapter 1 in particular, but also 1 Corinthians 8, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1, uh, where, where we get that um, uh, the Son's work in creation. Uh, God the Holy Spirit was active, moving over the face of the waters in Genesis 1-2. We can also see the triune activity in Jesus' baptism. I was reminded of that as we just went over, um, we're in the Gospels, uh, well, sorry, we're in Mark, the book of Mark in uh, service, and we just, um, uh, sorry, that was Mark chapter 1. I said Mark 2, I think. But uh, in, in Jesus' baptism in Mark chapter 1, uh, we can see Father, Son, and Spirit uh, all active. Uh, also in Jesus in the Great Commission in, in Matthew 28, we, we see this throughout. Um, I think it's First Peter 2 was probably the, the scripture I was thinking of. And um, sorry, First Peter chapter 1, verse 2. I keep I'm, I'm uh, saying the wrong chapter here, but First Peter chapter 1, verse 2 is another key one. So we see this in the theology of Peter. We also see this in uh, written in Galatians chapter four, four through six, Second Thessalonians two, thirteen and fourteen, among others for uh, for Paul. So we see this in the Gospels and the Epistles. We see this in creation, and um, we see this in the Old Testament. Um, so when you simply study through Scripture, the Trinity emerges. So though the Trinity is not the word Trinity is not used. It's it's using a non-biblical word to describe a biblical concept. Um, yet, as Augustine is quoted as saying, if you can fully grasp it, it's not God. And uh, I think that, that we find that to be uh, true, especially true in uh, considering the, the Trinity. So there are these... Uh, uh, four students in the in this co- coffee shop in which I began with, and for me, this was a source of great encouragement because these girls were pursuing the depth of the Trinity uh, because their desire to know and worship God for who He is and who we've um, versus who we've made Him to be, and and uh, so as an encouragement to you, and I, I think we'll probably get into some of this. Uh, stuff in in our follow up discussion, but um, as an encouragement to you, when when you are um, when you are desiring to know God, is it a? I I just have to do it, Caleb. I'm going to steal your line. We uh, we Christianity is a revealed religion and not a reasoned religion. Uh, did I even quote it right? You yep. Good close, job. Close enough. Good job. God has revealed himself, and so in, in our worship of him, are we seeking to worship the God of the Bible or a God of our own making? And, and as we 
do worship him and reflect him, we are made in his image. And so if we're to reflect him correctly, we ought to know him correctly. So that's my basis for the Trinity and, and why I wanted to share some of these thoughts today. So thanks.